change the world. I will be the sunlight in your universe. You would think my love was really something good, baby, if I could change the world. Did we just harmonize? <laughs> I said to Sears before we started, I can't do the high voice. And I said that was out of my range, but I was going for it anyway. <laughs> do you think our singing's gotten a little bit better? No. No, okay. <laughs> Just in my head. Season 2, episode 24. Yes, not your typical expat. Yes, and we are the two fat expats. Yes, I am Sarah Derrick. I'm Kirsty Rice. And we are the two fat expats because we believe in living a fat expat life. Yes, living it to the absolute max. Filling it up. And also because we're, we're a little bit fat. fat. <laughs> <laughs> so, says we have been doing a little bit of live Facebook. Yes, it's been going really well. I was very fun. nervous about it, to tell you the truth. I was really quite nervous because... Yes. I feel like sometimes I need to have a filter and that's what's so great about the podcast is there's often, hasn't been lately, but in the beginning I would message you and say, oh, that bit where I said that, can, can you, you cut take that, that out? out? Yes. 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 So I'm starting to filter myself a little bit better, yeah. I think. So that's what I think I was really nervous about with live Facebook yeah. was that there was no filter. And you know, I think I've done, I think maybe you and I have swapped in that sort of whole thing because I think... I don't shut up when we're on the live Facebook <laughs> because I get so excited. You and see I think that's because I'm trying to filter myself that maybe I am a little quieter. Right. And as I've said a number of times on the show, I tend to make up my own words. <laughs> <laughs> and to do that on a live Facebook video would just, I would die. <laughs> but talking about these live Facebook videos now everyone has access to doing a live video so it's not just on pages like ours and yes. news websites it's now on your personal page yeah. and the other day a man live videoed his wife giving birth and she didn't know i would not be happy i would be so oh no. i remember when i um had sadie matt before letting me vet all the photos sent photos of sadie's birth like i'm talking <gasps> like the umbilical cord coming out oh. like the whole kit and caboodle he sent it all because he was so excited <laughs> and I had my friend saying, really love you, but didn't need to see the inside of your stomach. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Like, Matt, what are you doing? <laughs> so I just, it, I think live Facebook is fantastic. And Jamie Oliver this week is doing his food revolution. Mm -hmm. And he's been working with a, a famous Australian chef, uh, Donna Hay. Mm -hmm. And they're doing all of, And I think that's fantastic. And like Hillary Clinton on her campaign trailer is doing a lot mm -hmm. of live videos mm -hmm. but i think when it's on your personal page yeah if you're having a drunk night out and you think Don't it's a really it. great idea yeah in the morning you're not going to no no and i wonder will it be the death of facebook too because i know that now because so many people i follow are doing live feeds there's certain ones already that i've gone yeah boring boring yeah, i'm gonna yeah. just go through that and i think you know, that's why I think when you and I are talking about things, it's really important to put up what we're talking about. Yes. So that yeah. So we've know. got a running sheet when we do our yes. live video. And we do go off on tangents because we've got our lovely listeners and your readers commenting. Yeah. And so we can go yeah. off. But it seems like I personally am a huge swearer. I love yeah. a good swear word. But I would never do that yeah. on our podcast. I'd never do it on that because... Yeah. 
It's not. Yeah. We might have an audience that's yeah. not really into me and, dropping the F bomb. Also, because we have so many women mm-hmm. as well, you don't know whether people's kids are around. That's and right. Just not cool. Yes. Not cool. Yes. yes. And now, before we get started on our topic, I've got a funny story to tell you. Is this based around the inappropriate swearing? Yes. Or, or without. Yeah, really and knowing? inappropriate clothing, which we were talking about on our video last week. Um, oh, can I just tell you? So you can see my dress. I don't. I think yes. this is above the knee, is it? It's close. I think it's very close. I so think it's close. I tell you what, I was walking around one of the malls this morning and I was like pulling at it. I was so nervous I was going dress. to get arrested. Where did you get that dress? This is H&M. I, think I, I bought need to it take in every colour, yes. two of them. <gasps> that is it's very good. To explain it to people, it's, it's really a comfy. jersey, t-shirt, dress with pockets. But it has a middle. Yes, so it's, it's got an elasticated middle. Yes. yes. Yeah, no, it's a good mm. one. So recently at H&M? Yeah, they're still there. I checked them this morning. We could put a link. Well, then yes, I, then we I could. wouldn't have to take a picture of you with, it, with you going, no, 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 no. Yes, because I don't like yeah. yeah, I'm happy to show myself from boobs up, <laughs> boobs down. <laughs> no, not interested. Um, right. So anyway, so I cannot remember who told me this story, but there's a mum at um, one of the international schools here <laughs> who English is not her first language, mm-hmm. as is the case at with many international life. schools. Yes. Yeah. And she was wearing a T-shirt mm-hmm. that said, Team... Uh, so, Team, see you next Tuesday. Okay. Team, hunt, what rhymes with hunt? Yes? Am I not get, I'm not getting us into trouble? <laughs> no, you're not getting us into yes. trouble. I think, Team, see you next Tuesday. Yes. That rhymes with hunt. Hunt, you get the picture. So, this poor woman's walking around with a T-shirt that says Team, hunt on it. And at no, school. At school. At right. school, drop-off, pick-up. Now, not one person went up to this poor woman and said, oh, hang on. What are you doing? Except for one woman did and said, I'm really sorry, but do you know that what you're wearing is really offensive? And this woman said, what do you mean? And she said, well, that word there, it's a really offensive word. Well, what does it mean? It's like, well, it's the worst word that you could possibly call. As in a swear word. Yes. And so she was just died. Now, had she walked around and around the school? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Been to see the teacher? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) But who's selling those T-shirts anyway? And I wonder if she got it here. Yeah. And with the whole language thing, did the buyer not even realise? Oh, that's spectacular, though. So there you go. And I wonder, just on that note, though, who's selling those T-shirts? Yeah, that's what I want to know. Where has she got it from? Where's the market for that? Yes. Yeah. Because... The, the, that word actually isn't all that offensive to me, mm-hmm. but I would still never wear it. <laughs> that word is the great divider, isn't it? Because yeah. it's, I have a South African girlfriend who uses it so beautifully in conversation about yeah. people. It sounds like she's almost paying them a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one girlfriend that she and I will use it. Yes. And Matt and my father both drop it on the golf course. Right. Yes. Ah, my dad is. As an expletive. Yes. 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 Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Yeah, but I would never use it Mm. unless I knew my audience. 
chants. Because I remember in uh, the vagina monologues. Yes, you know, they make they, you chant they it. They make you chant yes. it and sing it to three blind mice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. My mum went to see the vagina monologue and it's her most hated word. She just can't stand it. So I like to drop it in front of her just to get oh. Sarah, like that too. I love dropping it in front of her. I know, a terrible daughter. And so she went to see the vagina monologues and she said, she came and she said, they made me chant it. I'm like, well, did you chant? She said, I was sitting in the front row. I had to. I had to, like, be a part of it. Oh, great story. Okay, so today we're talking about not your typical mm-hmm. expat. Yes. Because we wanted to... Not your Kiki and Sashes of the world. No, definitely <laughs> not your Kikis and Sashes. But we wanted to talk about expats that go off to different locations and really find amazing things to do within mm-hmm. their community. Yes. And um, As far as giving back and volunteering yeah. and charity work. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we talked about it when we were talking live, which we do on Thursdays at... 2 p.m. Qatar time. Yes. Which is a Thursday evening in Australia and a very early Thursday morning in the States. Yes. And somewhere in between. Yes. If you're in Europe. <laughs> but, um, we were talking about it and people were throwing out names of people they knew yeah. who'd done incredible mm-hmm. things and and um, I guess what about you Sez have you done any great sort of charity work in your expat life? No and I actually feel very guilty about mm. it. I think there's two points to this. One, I actually come from a very charitable family. My mum mm-hmm. was the first rot- female Rotary president in mm-hmm. her area. There's even like a flagpole dedicated to her oh. in the suburb they used to live yeah. in. Yeah. She and dad go to China regularly and donate their old reading glasses. Mm-hmm. Like they gather reading mm-hmm. glasses, like full oh, on. Yeah. And mum's come from a very tiny country town and her mother, my grandmother, who didn't have two cents to rub together, was still doing charity work and volunteering so I've come from and I just feel very guilty because if I was back home I would be doing more why I don't think I do so much here is you don't see homelessness Mm. um there are orphanages here for local children but Mm. you're not granted any access um it's illegal to raise money you and I for instance can't raise money for a charity it all has to be done through government entities and what have you so it's almost like out of sight out of mind Mm. what I do tend to do is there's a lot of people that work here that are earning um, very very minimal wage Mm. and we're talking Mm. a few hundred dollars a month so um, when I go to do my grocery shopping, if there's someone standing in front of me that's, you know, buying a drink and some bread, mm. I will buy that buy for it. them. I always tip extra for the petrol guys that fill up our yeah. cars. I, that's sort of how yeah. I yeah. do my bit. Yes, yeah. Just but it's nowhere near enough. It's yeah. nowhere near enough. Now, we did speak to one of our readers, really wanted us to speak to Dr. Eric. Yes. And um, she put her his name forward and said, please, please can Mm -hmm. you talk to him so I had a chat to him over the weekend and he was such an interesting man Sarah and he's based in Thailand isn't he? he's in Thailand now so his story is he well he'll tell us when he talks to us but he's American Mm -hmm. and um, he's had sort of was like the celebrity doctor in California I'll let him tell you all about it and sort of what happened next okay uh, I grew up in New Jersey in the in the U.S., and then uh, I spent about 20 years in California up until about 2003, and then 2003 I 
I sold my uh, medical practice and moved to Thailand. Why Thailand? I'd spent a bit of time here before. I, I started coming to Thailand. I, I used to do uh, charity work in Tibet, and our stopover was always, always Thailand. And then for a while, I was traveling around. I was the personal doctor for Steven Seagal. I used to travel with him quite a bit. He spent a lot, a lot of time in Thailand. And it's, it's the... Uh, uh, it's just the easiest place in Asia to dig in, and I think for anybody from the West. I mean, except for Singapore, but Singapore is more Western than the West is right now. And so, what sort of work did you start doing when you got to Thailand? Kind of, I sold my practice, and I was actually planning on retiring for a while um, because I was I was working so hard in the states. So I wanted to do some things that you never get to do when you're working as a doctor. And so I started traveling, and I was um, learning how to shoot pool and reading books and exercising and having fun. And then after about a year and a half of that, I just got bored, and I thought. Uh, commercial on TV for Doctors Without Borders, and I figured, well, it's time to get back into it. And then I started, um, you know, looking for international opportunities and charity opportunities because I was doing quite a bit of that before. And then I eventually got uh, hired by Bill Clinton's foundation, our ex-president. They hired me as an advisor on HIV and AIDS, and I did some work for Family Health International and then International SOS. The next thing I knew, I was busier than I ever was in the States. How does that work in Thailand? Are you actually traveling around Asia, or are you work, working solely in Thailand when you're doing that sort of work? When I was doing that, I was traveling. Every, I was working everywhere but Thailand. So when I started out, my, my uh, territory was Africa. So I spent, um, <clears throat> I spent six months in Tanzania setting up a, an AIDS hospital for the government there. And then I was traveling to about 10 different African countries. And then we opened up uh, Asia for the foundation. So the, then I was traveling throughout Asia, Papua New Guinea, uh, Erie and Jaya. And then after that, I picked up uh, Eastern Europe. So I was working in Ukraine also. So I was all over the place. And I was pretty much out of town. I, I, I'd be out of town probably one to three weeks every month for a long, long time. And what sort of work did that involve? Like, were you doing hands-on work or were you just coordinating? Or how did that look? It, it was a little bit of both, really. Um, I was working for S uh, International SOS. I was working in the clinics and seeing patients. Um, but for the Clintons, I was a, a senior advisor on um, HIV care. So that was my specialty since 1991. So I was going to the governments and I was training the local physicians how to treat HIV. I was teaching them how to set up uh, proper HIV hospitals, giving uh, giving um, advice on the national HIV programs for a while. And, uh, then I had children. So then... I took a job uh, as a medical advisor for Newmont Mining Company in Indonesia, and they had this remote mine out in the middle of uh, an island called Sumbawa, and it was a, a clinic for about anywhere for about 12,000 people working in this mine. It was beautiful. It was right on a beach in uh, Sumbawa, pristine beach, and uh, so I ran the clinic there, and I moved my family there. So my wife and son moved there, and we're living in the jungle with me, and we had a uh, I mean, there were monitor lizards and monkeys in the yards and poison snakes and all kinds of things. It was a real jungle-type practice, wow. but we could, uh, but we, at least then we could all be together. I'm just trying to get my head around how, as a doctor in California, you've gone from one extreme for working for a celebrity to then working with people who are absolutely desperate, I imagine, in Africa, and then working uh, for a mining company. I mean, how do you balance the haves and the have-nots at the end of the day when you work with such a varied group of people? 
Well, I don't know. I mean, everybody needs something, you know? I mean, when it's down to the human experience, I mean, one person needs things as much as the other does. But I, <clears throat> I, I really enjoy doing charity work, and I enjoy more of a challenge than sitting in a Beverly Hills office. And eventually, I was getting bored with uh, my practice in Los Angeles. I had a bunch of movie stars. I had a um, good group of patients. I wasn't even working that many days a week, but I was getting really bored. And I wanted to... Uh, I was. I remember. The way, I'll tell you exactly how it happened. I was 43 years old, and I was at a friend of mine's birthday party. It was his 60th birthday party, and it was in Hawaii. And I remember I'm looking at him. I'm going, "Wow, this dude is 60. Oh, wow, that is so old." <laughs> and then I did the math, and I said, "Well, wait a second. That's only 17 years from now." And pretty much six months after that, I decided that I wanted to start following other dreams that I had. You know, I already had enough money and, and friends and everything else, but I wanted to do something that was really going to challenge me. I wanted to see if, you know, how I would function out in a place with no resources and see and see what life's really like by doing that. And that's the only dream I had, but then that turned into a career. The other thing was when, when George Bush got elected the second time in uh, the USA, I just knew things were going to turn to shit very quickly. And that's when I, I said, this is a good time to leave America. Okay, so let's go back to when you were working for the mining company and you're out in the jungle. What happened after that? What came next? And then I, I got a call from a friend of mine who has a business and they do uh, high risk high risk medical stuff, either military or, or biologic, and they got a huge contract to do uh, Ebola work. So I signed on to go do uh, Ebola work in Africa when the epidemic was there and I was in Liberia for three months doing that. And then that, that kind of cured me of... Um, adventure for a while. It was a, it was a very, very hard time. And then I came back to Thailand where my wife and kids had moved. And I somehow, <clears throat> some one of the guys who owns the best, or who runs the best hospital in uh, Bangkok called Bumangrad, they, they got a hold of me and I got a hold of them and they hired me to be their assistant medical director. And I'm, I'll be taking over the medical director job in a few months. And tell me, now that you've done a variety of everything, and like you said, everybody needs help in, in some way, what sort of work do you think it is that makes you feel good? Do you know what, what has you the happiest at the end of the day? You know, whenever I see at this point, because I've done just about everything. I mean, I, I worked in a major epidemic. I, I was one of the... I was one of the um, doctors initially trying out HIV drugs on patients. I've worked in TB and HIV wards, H hepatitis C everywhere. You know, I feel like I've done everything. And so now, now it's just kind of if, if people get the right treatment and they're happy with, with it, I mean, that, that's really what it's all about anymore. It's as simple as that. I mean, I miss doing, uh, I miss doing charity work and I miss getting dirty. And I, I mean, I used to really enjoy emergencies, you know, it, in the, uh, emergency room in the jungle if somebody would come in with a poison snake bite or a car accident or bus accident or broken bones for mining equipment and that, that was exciting work for me mm. not for the patients obviously but <laughs> you know as far as work goes that was really enjoyable and i miss it but mm. you know there comes a time to time to move on for the family as well so that's pretty much what i did and when you were doing the ebola work were you at all worried about your own safety health and safety uh yeah the whole time it was, was in fact um, there was a, the first day I was working with patients, there was a patient who had a seizure and, and bit through his tongue uh -huh. and was bleeding all over the place. And um, I was helping take care of him my, and my gloves broke. I had two, two cheap Chinese gloves on. Uh -huh. This was all donated equipment. You know? And the gloves broke. And so that was, uh, that was a sentinel moment in my life. 
<laughs> that's actually the time where I decided, you know what, this is crazy. I don't have to do anything this crazy. I have a family. You know, if I didn't have a family, it'd be a different story. Yes. But I got a family now. I better uh, try to take myself, you know, at least not put myself immediately in the path of harm yes. and uh, stand back a little bit. So, yeah, that was insane. That was the, that was the hardest job I ever had. I, I still have nightmares about that those will never go away. And I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and, and then I'll let you go, but we have, we have like uh, thousands and thousands of expats that listen to our podcast. There's people from all over the world, and quite often they don't know what to do to get involved to help and, and sort of what they can do. And a lot of them are in, you know, places in Asia or in the Middle East or whatever. What would your advice be? Because you've you've been involved with SOS and organisations that we all, we all know about and hear about. But what would your advice be for how to help sort of charity-wise? Well, you, you know, the, the thing that people usually try to do is they try to, um, you know, they try to develop it from their own com- their own country. Mm. and move into a job that exists there. My experience says that you have to get your feet on the ground. And once your feet are on the ground, that's where you really can use your smarts and your mobility and your connections to try to get a good position. It's very difficult to do from another country. I've done it just because I know where to look, and I now have a network of people to go to, <clears throat> which hopefully I won't anymore because I think I'm probably in my last job ever, not good. Mm-hmm. But you have to get your feet on the ground, and there's a lot of different... Uh, resources that you have to use. There's one one website, you know, for people who want to do charity work and, and NGO work of not just medical but of all kinds. Um, and it's called uh, www.reliefweb.org. And that's really kind of the clearinghouse for all the uh, you know all the charitable jobs. Like I said, not just medicine, that's teaching, logistics, um, transportation, everything. And I've got a number of jobs from that site before. But at this point, you know, once you're there for a while, it's usually word of mouth. And then the other way is, you know, you, unfortunately, you have to um, follow the industry. If, if, uh, if mining and oil and gas are big, you look for that industry for things to do. If, um, if it's war, you look for the military-related contracts. You know, you just kind of you gotta follow the need. And you gotta, you got to use your brains and, and be quick and be willing to go out on a ledge sometime to get the best jobs. I mean, that, that was my experience. What an amazing human being. I know. If heaven exists, those pearly gates will be wide <laughs> open for Dr. Eric, won't they? I know. Just incredible. Wow. wow. And especially when you think he was 43 and yep. in California and... Living, um, I'm guessing, quite a glamorous yeah. life when yeah. you hear Stephen Seagal and Bill Clinton in the same story yes. and another celebrity. Yeah. Yeah, so to give up all of that, that's a big... Yeah. thing to give up but and yeah. you would never think that someone like that would be bored yeah do you know what I mean I would yeah. think it would be quite an exciting job having well, he said didn't he? he said oh I hardly well, I didn't really work full-time I yeah. just worked the day here and day there. yeah um, yeah and to have that big revelation at the party and go this is it yeah this I've got to get life. cracking yeah. yeah if I don't do if I don't change this is yes it. and to have lived everywhere yeah. and and helped in so many different um sections within the medical community yeah. is yeah. huge yeah. um but what I liked was um first of all his children getting to experience life living in a jungle how oh. cool is that like if you've got young kids not my cup of tea personally but <laughs> but young kids I mean can yeah. you imagine having that as your back garden um and what I loved was that well not that I loved it but 
he's got a family, he was in there, he was knee deep in Ebola and all of that and then yeah. he realised, hang on, I do have a family, got to get out. Hats yeah. off to him. What a what an awesome human being. Wasn't he? He's yes, amazing. awesome. I'm surprised I haven't made a movie about him yet. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day. He's obviously got a connection there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he had a really good story. I mean, now he's going to stay in Thailand right. and um, working for a really great international hospital there. So I think mm-hmm. he's kind of done the whole full gamut. Now, the thing with Dr. Eric, though, is he he's not your typical um, trailing spouse either he's gone off and done a job it wasn't so much charity workers in volunteer work yes. I mean he was doing it as a job yeah but we had some great people who wrote in about stuff they were doing or stuff their friends were doing yes so we had someone here in Doha who's sewing for a refugee camp in Sri Lanka which I thought was pretty amazing. And then we had someone else doing the same thing, but for a camp in Syria. Mm-hmm. And then we had a woman who is working in an orphanage in Kazakhstan. Yep. We had another woman who's working in an orphanage in Bangladesh, mm-hmm. feeding people. Um, then we had the person we talked about last week who had yes. published the book for their housekeeper. Yes, in South Africa. Which was yes. amazing. Yep. And then the one that I just would have loved to have spoken to um, was the woman who started a dance school for girls in Kabul. Fantastic. I know. Yeah. And we did try and get in contact with yeah. a lot of, and I spoke to a lot of these women that are doing this amazing work. And how it is in that charity world, a lot of people don't want to... They don't want the spotlight. No, they don't want the spotlight. They just want to do what they do. And they don't think what they do is anything out of the ordinary or spectacular. We think it is. Yeah. But they're They're just... They're almost embarrassed Yes, yes, yeah. That's what what I found when I was contacting these wonderful women. I know this episode and just for the last week at work because um, I have been talking to a lot of people that do incredible charity work. And it has made me think about what I need to do with the children Mm -hmm. and for them to see. Because the kids and I went through a real phase where we were really helpful and we were like, you know, making up little bags of food and taking it to people Mm -hmm. working in the heat. And then it got cool and the winter came and and I guess I had my own stuff going on as well. But we stopped kind of doing that and we haven't Mm -hmm. got back on that tangent yet. Yeah. I think it's really it's so important to show your kids. Absolutely, isn't it? we've done it when we've travelled to poorer countries. So mm-hmm. um, when we were in Sri Lanka last time, we took Sadie to an orphanage, and it was for mm-hmm. children with special needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the first she'd actually ever seen of children with severe disabilities, yes. because again, you don't really see it here yeah. in Doha. Um, we're planning a trip to India, and friends that have just come back. Um, you can actually do and it, it sounds awful but when she was talking to me about it she's you can do tours of the slums right and at first when she told me that I was a bit ill yeah but it, she said it is amazing and you're not allowed to take photos because it's all, you'd be Good. like walking into yeah. our house Good. and saying can I take a photo of yeah. you Kirsty you know really it's gross isn't it? yeah. but what they do and it's people that live in the slums that run the tours mm. and then she said you go in and you see their communities and every single person's working they're all entrepreneurs they're all mm. just trying to mm. you know make mm. make it month to month and she said it is heartbreaking and uplifting at the same time yeah and I said oh well I, I want to take Sadie and she and she doesn't have children she said oh no you can't take her and I said yeah she needs to see that yeah not every child lives the life that she gets yeah. to live that is a hard one though isn't it because it's almost like 
the slumsy entertainment like when you say tour yeah, as yeah. I've put it, and it's it did make me it was very off-putting but then when she told me all about it yeah I understood it yeah. and it and it you're not walking through you know as a group yeah. of tourists taking photos that's just yucky no. you're but just trying to they get a better welcome it they welcome it because it's all run yeah. by the families living in yep. these slums so yep. when yep. I found out more about it, I thought yeah okay that's something that I definitely want Sadie to see but can you no. remember that movie called The Happiness Project and that no. it was a documentary but they they were measuring people's happiness because they were saying you can measure sadness really easily because mm-hmm. people get depressed and sad and whatever but with happiness, it's really hard to measure and yeah. gauge someone's happiness. So they've done all of these indicators and gone around the world. But the big takeaway from it was they'd been to America where people had lived in massive houses mm-hmm. and had massive grocery mm-hmm. bills and massive everything. And they weren't really all that happy because they mm-hmm. were just continually trying to reach somewhere. Yes. And then they'd chased sort of this guy in India who lived in the slum and his whole family kind of lived in this one room and he had to walk through the water every day and he was a um like a rickshaw um person yes yeah and he was so amazingly happy Mm. like just so really chuffed that he managed to look after his family like they really just had enough yes to survive yeah yeah, yeah. um and it, it's a really interesting documentary called the happiness project so i remember when we were in sri lanka we were on a um like a river boat mm-hmm. um and i remember seeing the local children that were living in mud huts they were the most laughing, mm-hmm. smiling kids I've ever seen mm-hmm. playing cricket. Mm-hmm. And I actually, both Matt and I broke down because it was it was just that pure Joy. happiness. It wasn't yeah. getting the shits before because your coffee wasn't yes. hot yeah. enough for yeah. the right. Do you know, it's yeah. all those yeah. things yeah. that... Couldn't get five bars of Wi-Fi. Ex- exactly. Yes. It's all, and yeah. then here are these kids with nothing, yeah. yet they have got the biggest smiles on their dial playing yeah. cricket. And it's such a cliche, but it's so true. But it's true. It's, it's so true. true. And that's why I think you should show your children mm. this because you know mm. Sadie's life this is all she's ever known yeah her life is yeah oh where are we going here and doing this and doing yeah. you know what I mean yeah. she she in her little world she does live a life of luxury do you know what I mean and to then see that not every kid is as lucky and as fortunate as what she is I think is important now I was talking to you earlier because I'd looked at something um called the bystander effect which Mm -hmm. I wondered if that kind of fits into the expat world and the bystander effect is actually like a social psychological phenomenon and it refers to cases where people um, don't offer any help to a victim when they see them because there's other bystanders around mm-hmm. and they say the more number of people there are standing around the less likely there is for someone to help yeah um, that if if there's less people which to me makes a whole lot of sense because yeah. I think about the times I've been in a crowd mm-hmm. where there's something's gone wrong and you just either assume that someone else is going to jump in yeah or, and particularly because you think, oh, someone else who knows how to handle this situation better than I know how to mm-hmm, handle it. Mm-hmm. Or also, it kind of gives you a bit of an excuse. If nobody else has gone, well, well you then know, why or, should I? Yeah, yeah. I, did, I didn't go, but neither did they. Mm-hmm. Do you know that yes. sort of yes. thing? Yeah. And I wonder with the whole expat thing is sometimes it seems so overwhelming. You'll get to maybe an underdeveloped country and you'll think, how can this be? Like, how can poverty of this level mm-hmm. exist? 
But then you see that everybody else is carrying on like it. Yes. And you go, yeah. oh, well, it's obviously okay because, yes. you know, everybody else is going on with it. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, it's that whole... And also, even on a more global... There's so much hurt and sadness. Yes. All of, How do you fix it? How yes. does one little person yeah. try and yeah. save it all? Well, yeah. you can't, but maybe you can yeah. make a difference for one person. Well, two organisations I heard about during the week that I just loved the idea of and I intend to do it and um, I interviewed a great guy last week and I talked about him on our Facebook live so I won't go on too much about it but he's someone who's done a lot of charity work as well as being a professor at a university and do all sorts of amazing Mm -hmm. things job wise but he talked about an organization called Kiva which I had heard about before that offer grants you know you can um, donate to someone who's trying to get a business off the ground Mm -hmm. in Africa and it might just be that they need 20 bucks for a donkey or they need 30 bucks for their materials or whatever and Mm -hmm. that they will pay you back once they get their business happening Mm -hmm. and he had set himself a goal of a thousand people he wanted Mm -hmm. to help a thousand people over his lifetime yeah and he'd already done 994 and I know and he had chosen to empower women in particular he was very keen on women Mm -hmm. so that was one thing and we'll put the link there for Kiva and the other one was for solar aid which was in Africa and donating lead lights to families who yes. are having to use kerosene lamps. Yeah, which is very dangerous. And he talked about you know how dangerous it is and how you can really change a child's life because a child who's breathing in kerosene mm. fumes is mm-hmm. going to be in all sorts of strife when yes. they're older. Yeah. So you're basically saving lives and helping them with their education yeah. and everything else because mm-hmm. the light stays on. Yes. Do you know yeah. just the compounding yeah. effect of all of that? Um, and I wanted to now go and talk to Jane. And Jane is an Australian expat who is living in Hong Kong. And Jane had been living in Sydney and she'd been living out in the burbs and she was quite sort of interested in the refugee situation in Australia. Mm-hmm. And then she got to Hong Kong and suddenly thought, hey, I could really do something here. And so um, let's have a listen to Jane. Okay. I was really interested in um, refugee asylum seeker issues at home in Australia. Um, And so when we got here, I was still getting involved in sort of conversations back home and still acting a bit like an Australian, I guess, in terms of the issues that I was thinking about. And then it just really felt, you know, this this is my home, Hong Kong, and I really need to start to engage with the place I'm living in now. So... I thought, although I still want to stay connected with the issues in Australia to do with asylum seekers and refugees, I thought I need to find out more about what's happening in my new home. And I had no idea. I didn't need, I didn't know what the laws were. I, I had no idea what life was like. And so I started to investigate. Um, and I came across an organisation that does a lot of... Uh, it's a charity that does a lot of work with um, refugees. Um, and then completely separate to that. So I volunteered a little bit with them, sort of just helping out with clothing distribution and that kind of thing. Um, and then in a sewing group that I was part of, someone just sort of popped up and said, um, I'm heading back to the States for a few months and I need somebody um, to help teach a sewing group to refugee women. And I just thought, okay, I can sew. <laughs> and this is something I'm passionate about. I think, you know, I think I need to put my hand up for it and I wasn't sure if I was you know the right person they were looking for if I had the right skills but I just thought well I think I need to just put my hand up and see if I can help 
and um, yeah, so that's how it started. So, um, and it was yeah through the same organisation that I had done a little bit of volunteer work with. Um, so, fate, the power of Facebook, I think. And so, tell me what what does what does sort of a bit of volunteer work look like for you, and and what happens after? Like, what do you get back from it? Sure. Well, the, so the. Um, the group that I'm actually working with at the moment is um, it's a it's called a new which is arts and enterprise for women, and it's basically a creative group an arts and crafts group I suppose you would call it and um, they so one group is um, sewing and um, the other group is kind of making baskets weaving baskets out of um, telephone wires and things like that but the group that I'm teaching is um, basically just sewing. So um, we meet together um, uh, on a Friday evening um, for a few hours and we just um, get together and we teach um, the women how to sew and we, um, yeah, so we're just moving through different projects, teaching them different skills. Um, and the first week I turned up was absolutely chaotic. I actually sewed my finger, um, which oh. is the first time I've been sewing since I was in my teens. It's the first time I have ever done this. And um, I think I was just so nervous about, um, you know, whether I was going to be good enough and whether, you know, just knowing that these women um, just would have been through some horrendous things and was I going to be the right person to be there um, and was I going to be any help to them. And um, so I think I was just so nervous that I just put my finger under the needle and it just went straight down and up. And um, so I went home just going, well, you know, I just completely screwed that up. But just week after week, um, it's just been amazing. Just um, I just love going. And when I leave, I always have this sense of um, what's important in the world. So I, you know, I can head walk down, I head out. The kids are, don't want me to go. They're screaming, you know, there all sorts of issues. And I just kind of turn my back on it. I go down and I meet with these women and I just said there's probably I think there's three women from Somalia um, a woman from Sri Lanka uh, a woman from Iran women from all over the place some you know um, some Muslim some Christian some Tamil and I just kind of watch them working um, and sometimes I just step back and I look at them and I just think you know that it's just amazing it, the, the group is just amazing and I start to think about what they've overcome and what's brought them here and just seeing them from such different um, places and religions and just seeing them with their heads down working, supporting each other. And I always leave just thinking, you know, the little issues that I worry about and stress about are just not on the same scale. And, um, and yeah, I just think it's been, it's been a really um, just important for me and I just feel like it is the most useful thing I do in my week and um, I just yeah I, I love it I I tell my whole family don't do anything on a Friday evening because I can't go because I you know I can't miss this group it's just um it's yeah it's just been a really great experience and probably really the first time that I've just been able to step out of my comfort zone um you know step out of that kind of mom you know just you just get kind of focused with toilet training and dummies and feeding and all that kind of thing and just kind of step out of that and just see, um, be, be able to see something that is so much bigger than, you know, the day-to-day the -day that um, is happening. So, yeah, I just, 
I, I hope they get a lot out of it. I think they do. They they really um, look forward to it. But I definitely just, um, yeah, I just come away just, yeah, just feeling like, you know, this this is what's important, definitely. Now, Stairs, before we get started, mm-hmm. I think Jane's from where you're from. Yeah, where's she from? From Dural. Yes, <laughs> I grew up in Kenthurst. I started my, which is the next, yes. and it's, it's not rural, but it's um, semi-rural, yes. like you grow up on acreage. Wow. Yeah, yes. about 45 minutes from Sydney. So that's where I started my life, Jane. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I loved about Jane, there's a couple of things. One, she's taken her passion and mm. then turned it into charity work. She has a passion for sewing. Take your passion. <laughs> da, 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 da. Make it happen. <laughs> Do you know I used to, as, when I was young, I thought it was take your pants off. That's what I thought the words were. Anyway, I digress. So I love Jane because she's taken something that she really loves, sewing, and now she's teaching it yes. to others. And the other thing is the refugee crisis at the moment is above boiling point it Mm -hmm. is just unbelievable and again and we talk about this a lot is what we get fed in the news Mm -hmm. is all the bad stories Mm -hmm. coming out of these refugee camps and i'm not talking about what they're suffering i'm talking about there's that one bag bad egg yes we get to hear the story about it and so we lump them all into the same story oh they're all bad yeah and here she is jane sitting with a woman from somalia someone from iran someone from sri lanka yeah and they're all just women yeah like, and that's like she's actually seeing the yes. tr- do you know what I mean yeah. just because you're like half of Australia is Australia because we mm. had refugees yes and migrants do you know what I mean? yeah. Australia wouldn't be Australia if we didn't have yes the Chinese that came in yes. during the gold rush and then yep. the Italian do you know Australia yep. would not be what we are today yeah yeah at the moment we've just got this huge mm. like wall mm. up again it just mm. it baffles me and um, trump's going to build an even bigger one yeah trump's is. building his wall <laughs> i keep on saying that might be your next job as a quantity surveyor working out how many bricks trump needs <laughs> what a moron but i just i love that in her small little sewing group yes she's sitting with women from it? different backgrounds mm. different religions mm-hmm. all just sharing mm-hmm. their same passion mm-hmm. and i think people need to remember that when we look at these people on the news and yes. we hear about the bad eggs and not yeah. everyone's like that. But I think we also need to take advice um, from Jane in that, or have a look at Jane in her expat life, that she said, when I got here, I went and found out about the community and what I could do and yes. what I could be involved in. And I thought when she was talking about being in Sydney and feeling that bit removed because yep. you're involved in class stuff and da 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 I mean, Jane is a mother of three, like we heard her kids in the background there um but when she said and this really hit home with me because I think my first expat location I was younger and a bit green and I was pregnant and so I was very very scaredy cat of catching something or you know getting getting something yeah and I think it was because someone put the fear of God into me that um there was flim thalidomide in the water but right. it wasn't it was formaldehyde <laughs> but all these things of people saying don't eat this because it's got the cat's disease in it and you'll right. get this and yeah this can even happen to you in a hotel and this mm-hmm. can even happen to you here i was my first child and i was five months pregnant and i was all a bit <gasps> and yeah. i knew that tb was kind of prevalent yes. and i was really worried that i was going to get tb yeah. and the whole thing and i think i held back because mm-hmm. i was just a little bit frightened about yeah. mm, 
what if I do something? Yeah. You know, what if something happens? And I think when Jane was saying about how on a Friday night that she goes and the kids kick up a fuss and mm-hmm. they don't want her to yeah. leave and whatever. Missing out on social activities. Yeah, and she, she'd be missing out on Friday yeah. night drinks. Yes. Um, yeah. The whole thing. And she said, but I, I just know that if I don't go, the world kind of won't feel right if yeah. I don't go yeah. and do it. Yeah. And I just think there's so much to learn in there because everyone I have spoken to, when I've asked them about what they've got out of it, all of them say the same thing about that they feel they get so much more out of it yes. than what they give. Yeah. And almost like that, and I think that's why people don't want to talk about it as well. Do you know, I was thinking that when Jane was talking, it's all, yeah, you that don't they want feel to say, oh, I feel really great. It makes me feel great. Yes. There's nothing wrong with that. No. And I think people people feel guilty because they get so many feel goods out of it yes and I, I often wonder because expat women have a really high level of depression and I think well I wonder is that a, a small part you know and I'm not making light of depression at all because mm-hmm. I know that some days you just can't get out of bed yeah but I wonder you know because we always hear about the reason that expat women are getting depressed is because they give up so much and mm-hmm. whatever, if they happen to be the training spouse, of course. Yes. But, um, you know, they lose all this stuff from home. Mm-hmm. Would that would that be something that could really help you if you could suddenly really help someone, someone else? else? I think so. Yeah. I always think there's someone in a worse off position than what yeah. you are. Yeah. So I thought Jane was amazing. Yes, And I think, Jane. you know, quite often we say, oh, well, I've got, I've got kids, I can't do that. Yeah. But she didn't. She no, just she found didn't. a way. Yes. Yeah. 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 Thought she was fantastic. Go, Jane. Okay. So it says that was our episode of Expat Room. And there's a couple of articles that I found that I'll put the link in the website so you can read those as well. Some more information about Doctors with Borders. Oh, doctors Without Borders, sorry. Um, and also seven um, expats and how they're making a change to society in Singapore by volunteering. So it says, a uh, completely different and lighter topic. Yes. Um, tell me about your social media this week. This week I've got two things for you and it's all about books. Um, now, the book that I've just finished reading about two weeks ago, it's called The Light Between Oceans. Now, it was released, it was published, I think, about two years ago, but I've only just got around to reading it now, mm-hmm. and it won Best Novel and Book of the Year. Mm-hmm. Um, this book is one of very few books that actually made me sob, sob uncontrollably. Wow. Like, really, like, I couldn't read it in public. There was one point where I was at the pool with Sadie, being very Sasha, <laughs> um, howling, and I was so embarrassed because we were so rapid. So it's, it's set in Australia just after World War One, mm-hmm. and a returning soldier, um, he becomes a lighthouse keeper off the coast of West Australia and he meets this young woman, they fall in love and they move to this tiny island to keep the, the lighthouse keepers. And a boat washes ashore with a dead man in it and a baby, a newborn, who <gasps> is alive. And this couple had suffered four miscarriages and, and stillbirths, so they decide to keep this baby and raise it as their own, mm. not realising that perhaps there is the baby's mother back on the mainland. Oh. And eventually their contract looking after the lighthouse woman. Oh. And it is heartbreaking. And I don't know if it's because... I could understand where this female yes. character was coming from yes. with my struggles. Yes. I don't know if that was it because yeah. I was reading it and I was talking to Matt about it and I said, I would have done that. And he said, how could you even think to do something like that? That's someone else's child. And we had a real almost oh. war of words over it because 
I completely understood where this woman was coming yeah. from. Yeah. So it is an amazing book, and it's actually being made into a movie. Right. Okay. Um, the light between, between the oceans. oceans. It is unbelievable. Oh. Um, and then my next one is a podcast. Now I admitted in our last episode that I have rarely listened to podcasts <laughs> since we moved house because I'm not in the car as much yes. anymore. And that's when I was listening to podcasts yes, when I was stuck in I traffic and waiting outside of school. Anyway, the other day I found this podcast. It's in there in their first season. There's probably about 15 episodes, and it's called The Librarian Is In. And don't get scared that it's all dorky and <laughs> what have you. It's hosted by two librarians, Gwen and Frank, and they work for the New York Public Library. And they talk about um, new books that have uh, recently been released. They throw in a bit of pop culture and they share stories from the world of the New York Public Library. And what I really loved it, because I'm actually studying to be a librarian. Yes. Um, and I love that I think people in the literary world and what have you think that everyone that reads a book it's all I read all different genres right I've read from Fifty Shades right through I love Jane Austen I love crime I love um, biographies and what have you and what I love about these two is And they've said, you know, librarians aren't snobs about, so don't be embarrassed about coming to the library and asking, do you have a Jackie Collins book? Because a lot of people assume that librarians are all, you know, Jane Austen reading, you know, all the classics. And they're not, you know, they just have a love of books and they're reading all different kinds of genres. So not to be embarrassed to go into your local library and say, do you have a copy of Fifty Shades or do you have you know, the latest Daniel Steele or what have you because yeah. more often than not the librarians are reading the same types of books. Yeah. So it's a really good podcast. So if you're into reading, um, then you will love this podcast. Yes. Okay. So says, mm-hmm. I think I've found the television series for you. Really? Yes. Um, so I only found this because a, a girlfriend of mine posted a snippet of um, the trailer for season two of the show. Right. I'd never heard of it before. Yeah. But the trailer was just so clever and it had two women sitting in a sound studio watching um, someone who obviously was on reality TV yeah. and they were twisting that person's words to say what they wanted them to say. Right. And the woman sort of snippet, 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 snippet and gets this woman to say something that she didn't say at all and then goes, and that's how you get season two. And then um, I thought, wow, that looks really cool. So I went and had a look and the show is called Unreal. I've not heard of it. And it's kind of this American dark comedy drama television series. It premiered on Lifetime Mm -hmm. um, last June in 2015. It's got a woman who um, I have seen her before in Entourage. She was Ari's friend who worked in PR. Right. Um, And she's really tough and she kind of runs this... um, set for this reality tv right. show and it is basically because for anyone listening i am obsessed with all things reality <laughs> it is my escape and i am not no. <laughs> that's because you haven't given it a go yet <laughs> but i think i could really get into the show oh, I'm because it's kind of um the show i think is called evergreen and it's like the bachelor so oh the, okay so they right. the guy they have as the bachelor is he's the sort of failed hotelier guy that needs to get some credibility back right. and he's English 
And then they have, you know, the 20 women that are auditioning yes, yeah. to sort of be on The Bachelor, but it's not The Bachelor. But it's really kind of a bit about what happens behind the scenes and what they make them do and how they cast them as whatever yeah, and yeah. who they starve so that they yeah. get angry and who yeah. they feed lots of alcohol to so yes. they get really drunk yeah, yeah, yeah. and how they need to have a villain and they need to have this person they need to have that person. And it's evil. It is absolutely wow. evil. But, but yes, that, it would be absolutely true yes and it's called unreal oh i'm gonna have to um, watch that and so i've watched episode one okay and i thought it was good yes I definitely want to watch episode two okay so um yeah that well, would be my that's suggestion. what i'm doing this afternoon yes <laughs> i'm gonna download it and read my um podcast i have to be honest with this but this is not one i would um say is for everyone because mm. <laughs> it's a football podcast right. <laughs> afl afl and it's my team's football podcast right. <laughs> so if you live in Adelaide and you barrack for Port Adelaide then you'll love this podcast <laughs> and that's why I'm not suggesting it maybe but if you happen to be a Port Adelaide fan you have to listen to this it's called Port Fan Radio but right. that and they do like a game day and then they do one after the game and is that hosted by fans yes and oh, it's fabulous cool. and you know my new best friend in Hong Kong who also yes, has Port Adelaide yes. her cousin does the Port does the Port Adelaide podcast ah. so Port Fan Radio but I was going to say if you maybe some people hadn't thought about it because I hadn't thought about it if you do have a particular sporting team, I bet you they are bound to have a podcast. So yeah. maybe go and have a bit of a search because mm-hmm. for me it's been fantastic because quite yeah. often when you're an expat watching sport from home, you just get right at the beginning of game and right yes. at the end and no yep. extras. And mm-hmm. and I know with Matt it would drive him nuts yes. as well because yep. you want to see the post-game yes. and you yes. want to hear the interview yep. and yep. you want to do all of that. And, yes, you can pay through the nose to get it, but also you can download these amazing podcasts where these oh, fan bases... There's a Melbourne Storm I bet podcast. there is. There would be, for sure, for sure, for sure. And they'll talk about every different player and what they're doing and they'll talk about the game and they'll, they'll have one on the day of the game. Because oh, State of Origin... So we're NRL and Rugby Union people yeah. and so the State of Origin is coming up. So I wonder if there's a State of Origin podcast. Oh, I wonder. Because that's... The game to the game for the NRL. So one to think about. Um, Okay, Stairs, we're done. Yes. And we've got one episode left before we break for the summer. We are. And just talking about books and stuff, I was just saying to Sarah that I think over the summer we should do a little summer book group. Yes. And where we could, because we're saying we are going to break over the summer and we're Mm going to have a bit of a rest. Um, and mainly too because I will be working with four children at home or three children at home somehow. Um, so, uh, but I would love to pick a book yep. that we are going to read. Yes. And we can all go off and read the book and then maybe do have a live... bonus. Yeah. yeah. Or do we do a live video book? club i'd love to do a live video but i don't know how we'd both be on it like one of us would have of to course be on it. we're going yeah. to be not in the same yes yeah, so we do yes. a podcast about the so maybe we talk about it online yes and, and maybe, maybe interview some of the listeners that have yes. read the book and they can give their 
That would be good. Here we are brainstorming while recording. Yes. <laughs> so we pick a book. Yes. We all read it. Yes. We then all yeah. oh, talk about talk it. Talk about it. And have an episode about it. And have an episode about and it. And we could okay. even do a little chat about it, maybe online, like start a little chat yes. maybe. Okay. We'll see how we go. So we'll put it out there for anyone that's got some suggestions for what we should yeah, read. Yeah, if you've got a suggestion, please tell us. And we'll be back on Thursday to do a little yes. live chat. Yep. And then we'll do our final podcast next, next week. week. Yep. Okay, guys. Bye. Bye.